wallop and web snappers. My spider sense is tingling. 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 Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Doug. And I'm Derek. And is your spider sense tingling? Yeah, it's telling me I'm just going to look out for number one. Mm. Me. We'd like to take a quick moment to thank our spectacular patrons, Bo, Carl, Eric, Katie, Jason, Zoe, Jonathan, James, and Keith. Thank you. Thank you. And of course, it's our last episode with the season of Amazing Friends. So of course, we have another guest. Yes. And this time, our guest is Chris Cummins of Sci-Fi Explosion. Welcome back, Chris. What's up? Hey, everybody. Uh, thank you, Derek and Doug, for having me back. It's, it's always fun to to talk some spider-man with you heck yeah. yeah yeah of course i was looking and i believe if i am not mistaken uh the first time you were on was a hundred episodes of this show ago which is oh, wow. wild okay. to think about i think it was 103 was the first time you showed up around here yeah. y'all are very prolific i appreciate it <laughs> i don't know if that'd be the word for it but sure we have a lot of episodes <laughs> i think that's true <laughs> Yeah, well, we've had you on for the 60s show, obviously, but this is not the 60s show. This is Amazing Friends. So what yes. is your history with Amazing Friends? Amazing Friends was actually my first animated Spider-Man, I believe. I, I kind of, my memory is a fog. I, I It's absolutely the first one I was aware of, whether or not it was the first one I saw or not. But it, it, it just uh, my favorite cartoon <laughs> growing up in the 80s. <laughs> sure. Was, was this hell yeah because you know th this is the one that cemented like in my mind what spider-man is uh he's just this great hero wisecracking uh and he has the amazing friends and uh i i, I love it and and you know like with cartoons the spider-man cartoons being my first introduction to the character i was a little bit bummed out to find out that like firestar and iceman weren't like regular you know his regular pals in the comics that it was just kind of that firestar was created for the show and he was thrown together with iceman and like that kind of bummed me out a little bit and i know there's like one or two issues of a comic they did to tie in uh with the show but yeah i i i still to this day just love the teaming of it and whenever they make a, a firestar or an iceman figure i have to get it to have it with my spider-man figure so i can put my little spider-man spider friends around the apartment and i have like at least three different iterations of the figures from over the years at this point so yes. yeah this show is um it's really well done uh it's it's a lot of fun um the voice actor whose last name i will not butcher at this point is in my mind the definitive spider-man voice uh and i just i just adore everything about this show so would that would that mean that to your memory was this episode your first ever experienced with spider-man's origin story then yes nice i mean this is a good one to get the origin story it's it's it is all the quintessential yeah. elements of spider-man's origin story we've seen in movies like bits and pieces of this exact i mean it's not i mean the comic had the story but like it's not always adapted as one for one or with all the elements in the way that this one is so right. yeah it's it's kind of it's kind of stunning how faithful of an adaptation it is like it doesn't 
especially given how kind of dark Spider-Man's origin story is. And this show mm-hmm. is not a dark show. Like it's very intentionally, yeah. very weird and silly. So for them to kind of be so committed to it, I think is really cool and surprising. And like, it's, it is just, it's a really straight up good Spider-Man origin story, which I don't mm-hmm. know that I would have expected. It's the most mature episode of the show. I think. I would absolutely agree with that. Yeah. yeah I think by yeah. a wide margin, honestly, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. I have one fun thing before we start getting into talking about this episode, because okay. um, we've complained a lot about how what the streaming and DVDs don't have like the Stan Lee narrations that they had in the second season and they retroactively added to the first season. Um, they are actually available on the spiderfriends.com website. I I, I was aware of that site, but I actually, it's not like easy to find it because it's under like an et cetera, like miscellaneous section. And then it's like, by the way, the Stanley narrations, they literally have a full compendium of, <laughs> by the way, how dare, <laughs> right. They have a, a really nice compendium of basically all, but two uh, narrations from the entire series. I think they're missing like the video man one. And I think the Loki episode narrations, but they have them all written out mm. and they have audio clips as well. So when you're watching this and you're like, Hmm, that's ominous zoom on Aunt May. It feels like it's missing something. You could go to the website and like just play Stanley's dialogue. And if you want to know what he was going to say, hmm. which is usually not much more than like, well, that's a great story, isn't it? Excelsior. But it's still like <laughs> fun to have heard that on the episode. And it's weird. And it's still weird to me that like it's just not there for some reason. I have the DVDs that I believe are the UK mm. DVDs and they don't have the narration. And I was it, it was a real like ferric victory. I'm sure I just mispronounced that word wrong, but you I know what I mean. It, yeah. uh, and it, because like I finally got really, really great quality versions of these episodes, but the narration wasn't there and the Spider-Man on the move special isn't there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those two absences, like I, I really I want Disney Plus to rectify that because mm-hmm. does Disney Plus. They don't have the narration. Am I they have they have some of the narration for the third some episodes in the third season, which is what's extra right. weird about it is that it's like it's not an all or nothing deal. Like there's there's a swath of missing ones, but they still have some of them. They didn't take them out of all of them. So I don't really understand why or how that happened. I I, I mean, it's it's the sort of thing like we're all very you know, we're very internet savvy nerds, so we know where to look between YouTube and the Internet Archive and my yeah. spleen and torrents and everything else where you can find these episodes with the narration. But it, it's just like at this point, it's kind of ridiculous that they all are all aren't on Disney Plus yeah. with the narration like in, in a perfect world. We would have like the option to listen to it with the narration right. or without the narration, you know, sure. like because to me, I want to hear that was so much of the charm for me because I vividly remember it with, you know, the Stanley narration, you know, yeah. and, and so to see it without it was it's it's kind of a bummer because he, he is at his absolute showman best in these in these bits that he does. Well, and yeah. I and it's you know, it's a thing where it's sort of like when you say it like you know, it's really it's super minor like some stanley narration and you it's not like it's adding that much but like then you watch these episodes and it's like you can tell that something is missing when it's not there though like it actually does kind of hurt the episode and leaves some of them off on really weird notes so oh it's, yeah it's really yeah it's it's very silly yeah and it's especially frustrating to know that it's not just like a legal thing like a legal a blanket legal thing where they just are not allowed to have his voice in the episodes like it really does sort of 
shatter any illusion anyone might have had that like streaming is this sort of like pristine archive because if they wanted to have the episodes okay. with the narration they can they exist you know yeah. but whatever they have is whatever they put up they don't care they just grab whatever easy masters they have available yeah. and just put them up and then don't really dig any further yeah uh, which is frustrating yeah um, you know last episode of the season one more chance to go on that annoyed rant uh before we <laughs> move on so you know <laughs> Look, if we're going to have a season-long rant, at least it's the three-episode season. Very true. Very true. <laughs> Excellent point. <laughs> so the episode we're talking about, of course, it's Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Season 2, episode 3, entitled, Along Came Spidey. And then came the day that changed my life. Of course, nobody had invited or even noticed a tiny eight-legged visitor. Enter uninvited guest number two, Fate. Ow! The spider bit my hand. I felt weird, as if I'd been charged with some fantastic energy. It was the spider bite. It had to be. Somehow, that radioactive spider transferred his own power into my bloodstream. I wondered what else I could do. I'm like a spider on a web! And I suddenly had agility, coordination, and the strength of a man-sized spider. Spider-Man's career was just beginning, but not yet as a crime fighter. At the beginning, I was just a plain old simple superstar. Until that one fateful night. Of course, as we've mentioned, it's all it's all out of order on Disney Plus. So this is we will find this listed as season one, episode 15. If you want to watch it, the synopsis per IMDb is Spider-Man battles the shocker who is attempting to escape after an armed robbery. In the aftermath, Aunt May is seriously injured. Peter becomes very depressed and considers giving up his powers. No big deal. Original <laughs> air date was October 2nd, 1982. Uh, written by Don Glute. We've talked about him multiple times. He uh, most recently wrote the Iceman origin episode. Yes. And we get several characters we uh, haven't really seen before. Not really new voice actors, but I just want to shout out the characters anyway, because Shocker is the main villain here. He's voiced by John Stevenson, who we've heard a bunch, but concentrated into a couple episodes really the vengeance of loki and knights and demons that sort of back-to-back -back couple of episodes mm. he was all over those episodes and mm. for some reason he's here just as shocker <laughs> yeah he's good at doing like monstrous deep voices yeah. and so who else who would you think of having a monstrous deep voice no one else but shocker of course of all spider oh. his most powerful villain and most formidable one as we very oh, yeah. clearly see in this episode apparently i don't often <laughs> sincerely like shocker but there has been at least one instance where i sincerely like shocker i think maybe now there are two i yeah. like like the shocker and definitely due in part to john stevenson's performance <laughs> um we also get a flash and a sally who are very obviously voiced by frank welker and kathy garver which i think is fun um and then i couldn't remember if we've ever seen or heard uncle ben i'm assuming not, not based on when the show takes place um but unsurprisingly also voiced by frank welker so yeah. lots of familiar voices <laughs> yeah 
So let's get into what happens in this episode. And of course, I am sure we are going to have plenty to stop down on as we go. So like the other two stories this season, this episode features events in the present day that inspire one of the spider friends, this time Spider-Man himself, to share their origin story. In Spider-Man's case, like we mentioned, the present day villain is Shocker, who the spider friends encounter after Shocker escapes from prison, noting that he was put there by Spider-Man. So pretty classic Uh, I'm going to get back at the hero who put me here. Unfortunately, they are out with Aunt May and Ms. Lion when they intersect with him. And uh, Aunt May ends up pummeled by building debris under or during their confrontation. Um, And as she lay unconscious in the hospital, Peter beats himself up for putting her life in danger, just like before. And this is where we get flashbacks. But first, there's plenty to talk about just here. I already feel like I have just a long list of notes just just from that opening. There's so much that happens at the beginning of this episode. Yes. Shocker getting, you know, freeing himself from prison. They're out to get ice cream. Ms. Lion is back. Aunt May is around. Building falls on her head. <laughs> uh, shoulder. Lots of cool action. It falls on her shoulder, to be fair. It very She's clearly falls on her shoulder. the frailest human <laughs> being we've ever seen. She's made of tissue paper. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely died. She died when that building hit her at yes. the start of the episode. Like, there is... She is dead for most of this episode and then just miraculously comes back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, there's like one point where, where um, I think it was like uh, Bobby or, or Angelica are like, the doctors say it's not serious. And Peter's like, but what if they're wrong? And my individual, <laughs> and, and at first I was sort of like, oh my God, Peter, so dramatic. But then I'm like, it is Aunt May though. Maybe the doctors don't realize how, fr- how they are op- treating the, the frailest woman to ever mm-hmm. walk this earth. <laughs> I, yeah. I yeah. genuinely feel like even leaving the house with Aunt May constitutes elder abuse because <laughs> she is just so frail. What's wild is like, yes to that, but also they know they're with her. It's not a surprise she's nearby. That's and they right. all suit up to like stop Shocker and they not one out. of the three of them makes any effort to like focus on her get her out of there two of them can effectively fly and none of them try to get her out <laughs> that's so true because she's like the only person around so like you yeah. could have very they could have very easily done it and like she, this is one of the few times when she's not like totally useless like mm-hmm. she is like i see danger i'm going to find what i feel like is going to be a safe place mm-hmm. for myself and miss lion she does exactly what i think you should do in that situation yeah. just happens to not go well for her like it's yeah. everybody else's fault but hers in this situation <laughs> yeah yeah i like to see her making decisions <laughs> she's she's good in a crisis but banned life yeah 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 Yeah. i mean i'm not trying to be ageist about aunt may but she is just she's a wispy little thing like a wind could take her away oh yeah she's written that way that's not her fault (laughs) you know (laughs) um any thoughts on shocker chris you have any general opinions on shocker and or this one in, in particular I mean, I mean, not to just make it weird right away, but oh, please do. I Always. I just remember as a kid just being so turned on by Shocker. Oh, um, tell us more. Like just the suit, like the suit, the the, the 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 suit. Okay, there were two things I would focus on when I watched this. <laughs> this is a kid, mm-hmm. and it would be um, Iceman's visible briefs, but no discernible bulge, mm-hmm. uh-huh. and um. And like just the way the super the muscles looked in the suit because this is around the time I started figuring things out. Yeah, and 
between like the way a lot of the Spider-Man villains looked and like the entirety of every male G.I. Joe member, I was like, oh, that I'm into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we are here on the uh, the Glitter Jaw Queer Podcast Network oh, yeah. now. So hey. I am I am getting queerer than I've ever been on. <laughs> but shocker, there's just something really cool about the suit design. Yeah. And I think he's a really cool looking villain. And I think I, I I think just the idea of harnessing electricity is a really interesting power, and like his little like you know his little gauntlets I guess mm-hmm. that he he does the energy mm-hmm. blasts are super cool. So I've always felt that like he's a character who has been really kind of underused throughout like Spider Man media lore. You know I, I I don't think I don't think like the live action shocker really oh. kind of gets the coolness of the character mm-hmm. um and i i don't feel there's been like a, I, I i feel like he gets kind of short shrift when it comes to spidey's rogue gallery villains so I, I i really appreciate when they would use him in like the various animated series over the years um i think they used him better in the 90s series mm-hmm. uh and mm-hmm. you know, but I, I in this appearance here he is kind of formidable because he he right away not only does he basically like almost win, but he immediately sends Peter into an existential crisis because mm-hmm. he almost kills Aunt May. Yeah, you know, and the the factors with what happened with Shocker and Aunt May are not the same as you know Uncle Ben, but hell, it gives us a nice thread yeah. framework to run this episode on. But oh, I just yeah. think Shocker is a, is a, is a super effective menacing villain, and I love the voice, and I I. I just there's just a lot that I love about this portrayal of Shocker. And I know I do know that um, I, I've had discussion with some friends who find both the Beatle and the Shocker's voice work very annoying in the show. And I don't agree. <laughs> I like his voice. Yeah. I actually think and, and I think you're touching on things about Shocker that I've never quite put into place before. But I think it's actually kind of strange that Shocker isn't more of a like gay icon like accidentally you know what i mean yeah. like you know how sometimes that'll happen where it's like we didn't mean to do that but sure go off gays you know um because i think the ingredients are there i do think as far yeah. as like villain costumes go it is far more certain versions of it are far far more into the realm of like kink and gear than a lot of other villains uh-huh. are the fact that oftentimes I think this time included, his powers are portrayed specifically as the ability to control vibration. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think the voice, you know, it sounds like it's it's either going to work for you or it's or it's not. But I do think there are, there's an alternate reality where Shocker is a little bit of a, a like gay fan favorite. He's his outfit is very much like wrestling heel. Yeah. Yeah. You know that is sure. you know, and it you know it it works. Yeah. yeah. I think in this one too, I think it really highlights, like, I think they do a good job with like, they don't go too hard on like the weird fishnet aspect that sometimes can make the shocker costume feel a little weird. I actually end up liking the fact that it's like only his face. That's like that. Mm -hmm. And the rest of his body is just kind of a solid yellow. Cause I think it highlights like the vest a lot, a lot better and the equipment a little better. And like, it looks like he's just wearing like an open chest vest, which is very gay, but like really fun too. And I, and I mean, look, obviously that was a production reason, you know, they mm-hmm. didn't want to have to deal with the, you know, all the intricate, you know, uh, line work on the animation of the costume. 
for for shocker for a guest character so they're like all right let's just have it on his mask and have that be it and uh, you know but it still it, it still works in this case i think the costume's better for it honestly i, I so know too. the iconic thing is the fishnet quilt look but i think this is yeah. this works really really well and as far as formidability goes like he is basically an earthquake villain like he is That's he so is true. knocking yeah. down buildings yeah. he's splitting open the earth i mean they don't yeah. always shocker so frequently is sort of like a side villain or a warm-up or like a henchman or whatever our favorite version of shocker is spectaculars who works because they took two sort of mid characters and smashed them together to make a better character so having one that's actually formidable and kind of cool looking and uh, a massive threat and intersects with potentially killing peter's other guardian uh, is actually like a really awesome choice yeah <laughs> yeah i on his voice i agree i like the voice a lot i do think it's very funny that you see him explicitly put on a cloth mask and then instantly <laughs> he has like this reverberating like robotic voice lay over lay over with it he can control vibrations Actually, that's all voices are yeah. Nailed yeah. It. all right fine yeah i never mind you convinced me i think it's perfect good <laughs> it's I'm amazing such a sucker for 1980s like voice effects like that like in the uh, original v and v the final battle mini series when they gave mm. the visitors that very similar kind of like you know echoey distorted vo- voice like i'm i'm it, it's not quite cylon level but sure. it's it's really really it's just a cool sounding voice and you know, you're a kid, you're hearing that voice, you're seeing what he's doing, and you're like, man, this is a badass character. This guy's really, <laughs> you know, and yeah. and I still feel that whenever I, you know, I I still find and And again, I, I Beetle is the same thing. Like, I really compare Beetle and Shocker in my mind a lot because they are, like, very similar characters in a lot of ways in this show. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of the, a lot of power overlap and just they have the voice that is just very, like, weird and menacing and unlike any other uh voice work portrayal in the episode that they're in which is super cool to me yeah, yeah. don't always say shocker's cool but this time i do i definitely do <laughs> yeah 100 <100%. laughs> percent. so this sets us up for our origin story here because peter is sad and it turns out he's never really told iceman or firestar much about uh what happened so we get a pretty classic spider-man origin story featuring all of the pieces you come to expect, right? Peter's childhood and life as an unpopular high school student, an experiment gone wrong, resulting in a radioactive spider bite, the manifestation of his spider sense, his agility, his super strength, him making his own webbing, uh, and his discovery that he could make money by being a wrestler and television star. Yes. It's all done really, really clean. And I love, love that they very clearly were excited or... Uh, instructed to take very seriously the mm. fact that this is the Spider-Man origin story. Like, let's make it look cool as hell because the wrestling yeah. stuff looks cool as hell. Yeah. In in the wrestling scene, because uh, yes, I agree, it's a very well animated. One thing I thought was really fucking neat, and I think you would appreciate this, Chris, too, because I know you're familiar with it. There's a cameo from uh, character Joe from Gotcha Man, which was adapted in the States as Battle, for the Pla- Battle of the Planets, uh, a few years before this show, um, he's just as a cameo in the audience, oh. Oh, and well, yeah. 
And there's a guy wearing a shirt, which is the Gasha Man logo on it, like sitting yeah. not too far from him, too. And what's wild is that, like, it's not like Toei did Gotcha Man and they were just like pulling, you know, character models they already had. Like, they, I forget the name of the studio, but it's a different studio that did Gotcha Man. So it was just someone doing the, uh, you know, animating this, like, just like Gotcha Man or had worked on them <laughs> independently or something. Like, it's just such a random cameo to have, but like, it is explicitly what that is. <laughs> Yeah, and, that, and like, look, let's let's face it. Like, another thing that made this, like, one that makes this one of my top five cartoons. Spider Man's Amazing Friends is one of my top five favorite cartoon series mm-hmm. of all time because of all the cameos just from the Marvel universe in the background. I'm not just talking like the big guest cameos. I'm talking like the things, the episode, the the uh, the Halloween party where you have people dressed as a thing in the mm-hmm. background dancing Spider-Man, around. You know, yeah. it's just like shit like that makes the show like next level great. And it, it it's so reflective of the comics where you feel like, yeah, these characters all do share a universe and this is happening for real. And I air quoted that. But um, <laughs> whereas like the DC cartoons and comics and everything never really felt to me like they always felt fantastical and they weren't grounded in reality for ba- lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, to see that kind of th- those kind of Easter eggs in these in these uh, in, in Spider-Man's Amazing Friends back in the time where like Easter eggs, no one knew what the hell an Easter egg was is a, is really just like the animators were having fun. We're just putting in this because we are fans and, and it's clear, like you have a guy like Donald F. Glut writing so many of these episodes who is, you know, I mean, the man made the first Spider-Man fan film ever. So he, you know, he is a fan, you know, and that, that fandom and love for these characters and the property makes this show stand out. And it's way better than his, any right to be Um, (laughs) yeah that's a real actually that's a really good perspective because i guess we're so used to cameos being packed into everything i mean especially i feel like not long after the show is that when that would start to happen like you know later in the 90s and stuff and the and the dc cartoons like of the 90s going forward did do a lot of that stuff but it is interesting to think about like that wasn't really happening (laughs) during the time when this show came out like that is there is something special about just being like Kids might, kids aren't going to be able to go on the internet and look up what this means. So, like, (laughs) this is really definitely going to only be for a small handful of people that are going to, like, get this and enjoy this. If anything, it's just for us, the creators, which is just, like, really cool to see and kind of feels a little more wholesome than what a lot of cameos today are. Because it's, like, they clearly weren't really trying to, like, milk anything or, like, get a bunch of, like you know, clickbait articles written about top cameos or whatever. It was just like, they were just doing it for the love of the characters in the universe. It's absolutely authentic. And it just shows just a love for, for the universe they were playing around in. Yeah. And I appreciate that. And it, and like, yeah, it, it feels so organic and it doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel dictated by, future stories we want to tell you know and and things like that it's just like no this is just fun we just want to have fun with this and this the show constantly does this throughout its run and 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 i love that about this but um just one kind of quick point about this episode i do find it hilarious that this episode and the iceman origin the firestar origin episode like they never just hung around and like told each other what their deal was (laughs) It always took these massive life circumstances. Like, what do they do when they're, like, not, you know, 
going to class or solving, you know, solving problems and defeating villains. Because it seems like they just don't talk to each other at all, which is not a very spider-friendly thing to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think they're all just fucking each other personally, but... Uh, I hope they are. I hope they are. <laughs> but I think that's definitely uh, a possibility and one that we uh headcanon at least in some circumstances yeah. for sure i I, <laughs> yeah. ha, you know, I do have an explanation though because i think in firestar's episode it's not the spider friends who are asking her it's the ex it's like right. it's storm who's asking her right yeah. so i could argue that she has told them all about her life and i think peter because he's a little more self-conscious i think maybe he's just like and and his origin story is like sort of wrapped up with like his greatest regret, right? It probably, he's probably just avoided talking about it. And then with Bobby, I think just nobody asked because nobody cares. And so (laughs) I think that's possible. I also think in Bobby's case, he is, I mean, he's really embarrassed by a lot of the stuff that happened when he was a kid. I mean, his whole thing was like shit happened and I went inward and I don't think he necessarily became a superhero out of a sense of like confidence or self-assuredness more then it is just sort of like a, a sense of being lost in having no direction. And like, what do I do with all this? Mm-hmm. Firestar absolutely shared it because she's self-assured. She's confident. Like she's got nothing to really hide from her friends. I dropped that bitch Bonnie in the mud. It like yeah. all broke her tailbone and it was yeah. great. And everyone clapped. <laughs> yeah. She's, she is of the three, the confident one who, who owns it all. And I think the the two boys are just sort of like, uh, yeah. yeah, they're, I mean, they're still, well, that, you know, to be fair <laughs> to them, they're still processing everything. Yeah. Um, but knowing that these folks have only known each other for a year, even though they've been through everything together, I think their egos, um, and what they went through, I think are probably why it hasn't come up. <laughs> yeah. 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 I just, I just imagine like Peter's just constantly like creepy around Firestar. Like he's just, you know, like, Maybe walking into the bathroom when she's showering a little no. bit too much. Being like, oh, I didn't know you were in here. Like, I really, Cartoon Peter, I get, like, some kind of creepy, like, Dilberty incel vibes. Oh, God. I feel I like that's oh, way no. more Bobby in this show. And I feel like it's, like, yeah, it's an attempt to be like, look how straight yeah. I am. Yeah. I think Bobby is Fair. compensating. And I think Peter. Bobby is definitely compensating. And we know why. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, I'm going to pivot us away from that intentionally. Uh, and <laughs> what... I've ruined the show. <laughs> oh, we've done that countless times over. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> poor Aunt May has a, aged decades over the course of a couple of years, seemingly. Because at first we see her when Peter's a little kid and they have this yeah. like younger design with brown hair. And um, um, what's it's, uh, it's June Foray does her voice in this show, not the other one, right? Yeah. And Correct. June Foray kind of pitches up her voice a little bit to sound younger. So like that makes sense. And I'm like, okay, cool. But then we see her again when Peter is in high school, which is only a couple of years before when the show takes place. It's the exact same character model. And it wasn't just an animation error because June Foray is doing the same younger performance. So that means Uncle Ben got shot and it destroyed this woman so much that she aged like decades over the yeah. last two years. Like she degraded that much, yeah, which is years. so sad. <laughs> It's a good point. If it were literally just her hair and not the performance, I'd be mm-hmm. like, sure. What's she dyeing her hair for anymore? Like right. she's just living and but like going day by day. The wrinkles. Know? It's the it's everything. Like yeah, <laughs> it hit <I> hard. Mean, <laughs> like I've seen that in real life though and mm-hmm. so it's actually like really i was gonna like, say i think it's real no it's two years 
but also we just had two of the worst years like in <laughs> like recent history yeah. and many people i think aged a whole lot it's true <laughs> I, I and I and like I like that like to me I thought there was like this real like subtle and like like just kind of awful that like oh if you lose someone you love you're gonna get so fucked up you That's don't even true. realize how it's gonna impact you yeah and that totally you know and and it's like you know and and as a result May is you know she becomes this just thing that is just so so delicate she mm-hmm. is you know. She is the the glass menagerie of the uh, Spider-Man universe. Um, I don't think that reference works. Um, I was going to just let it roll, man. (laughs) Yeah, but um, she she is just this this incredibly fragile thing because like, you know, it's it's kind of like that Ben Fold song, The Luckiest, you know, about the guy who lived into his 90s and then he died. And like two days later, his wife dies because, yeah, you know, so like damaged by grief. It's like it's very much like that kind of thing. And so in a way, does this episode prepare kids for the existential angst of adulthood? Question mark. I don't know. I I, I feel we can leave that question hanging out there for the audience to decide amongst themselves. Yeah, Yeah, Uh, I mean, we said this is one of the most serious, if not the most serious episode of the series. And like, that's only one piece of why, you know, like it's it's right there. Let's get the weight, you know, like, let's really like enjoy the the weightiness of this episode because it is it's Mm -hmm. look, I think I think the take on the Uncle Ben death and everything not to get ahead of herself, but I do think this is my favorite portrayal of it. I, I, I will just say that until like i i have never i i don't i i'm not a fan of the raimi spider-man film so i don't think they got it right but mm. even in the other cartoons where they did this this origin this sure. to my mind is just the best and most definitive spidey origin and it handles it with a weight and a gravitas and there's still some humor to it and it really is just like meat and potatoes spider-man 101 which yeah. is what you want this episode to do yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, speaking of speaking, I just want to make this quick segue. Speaking of weighty, Crusher Hogan could crush me. But anyway, back on topic. Um, <laughs> I mean, come on. Who amongst <laughs> us does not feel that? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I agree. It is sort of like, yeah, you're, you're sort of meat and potatoes Spider-Man. And what's interesting, I know we're going to talk about the Uncle Ben thing, I think. But like what was interesting, I read that um, this is another thing from SpiderFriends.com is that like, NBC very deliberately like didn't want them to include Uncle Ben's death. I mean, I, which I'm not surprised. Like, I was surprised watching it that like they allowed them to do this in 1982. Even mm-hmm. you know, and I think that Stanley, I think, was like intervened and like was like sticking to his guns. Like, we we can't do this episode unless we include that. And so the sort of um, the the sort of way that they compromise was that like the death would be implied rather than stated, which is like super common in cartoons. Yeah, I, I I I I guess maybe that really hadn't been happening that often in cartoons by this point. Like either you talk about death and they allow it, or you just don't. And that sort of middle ground that you would start to see in like every cartoon after this. I, maybe I don't know. I guess that that felt a little more novel to them. The idea that it's sort of like you can talk around it and kids will get it without saying your uncle Ben has died. I mean, I think what we end up with is like mm-hmm. an incredibly well crafted, elegant it's really version good. of this story. Like you know exactly what happened and and the impact it has, and I feel like it hits you 
you know, just as much as, as, as any of the other ones, if not more, maybe because they're not overselling anything, you know, they're not trying to get the like dramatic uncle Ben, you know, sky shot rain on the sidewalk situation, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, so maybe that's why it's so effective, but I think it's incredibly affected or effective. I mean, it all happens the way you kind of expect at this point, right? Like Spider-Man is on the rise as this sort of television variety show wrestler star. Um, And one day when he's at the studio, the studio is burgled and a guard shouts out for help from Spider-Man, who now has a reputation of being incredibly capable, strong, agile, fast, all that sort of stuff. And Spider-Man doesn't do anything about it. We've seen this many times. He specifically says, hey, sorry, pal, that's your job. I'm through being pushed around. So from now on, uh, I just look out for number one, me. And you sort of see the alternate reality where Spider-Man turns into just a dick, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah I like that they don't like, I feel like it's, I like when Spider-Man's a little bit of a jerk especially in his origin story, especially. And sure. like they, it is often, but I think it's, it's easy to either get it wrong or go too, too hard on it or not go hard enough on it at all. And I'm, I was pleasantly surprised what that, like, I think they balanced it really well in this. And I think went harder on it than I would expect for this show, given that this show tends to be like really lighthearted and everything like Spider-Man kind of is like, he's like his whole idea of becoming Spider-Man is kind of a little bit vindictive. Like he has that line recently is like, they laughed at me because I, because I was a bookworm. Well, now I'll show them, which is yeah. like very authentic to like comic Spider-Man. But like, I like that. It's like very outrightly stated. Like he's doing all this for all the fucking wrong reasons. Like he is being a fucking asshole right now. And now he's getting his comeuppance for it. Like that. And I think that just kind of adds to the sort of Greek tragedy poetry of the story, you know? And he definitely he he falls hard because of it. Like hubris is 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 a tough lesson to learn, you know. Yeah. And uh, it, like and the, just to go back to what you both were saying about like how the uh, how the show handles Uncle Ben's death, it, it doesn't condescend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is extraordinarily important. That you know the show has faith in the young viewers to like figure out what's going on and to not like we don't want to go like Bambi level traumatizing, but <laughs> right. we're really, we're really walking up to that line as much as Saturday morning network television could at the time. Yeah. Sure. And, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really powerful scene. You know, when I rewatched it for, for this episode, I kind of, you, you kind of forget like the emotion of it is it's really like, Oh shit. Yeah. They, they yeah. really handled this with such, with, with such grace for, you know, for 1982. Yeah. yeah. One thing I think really helps and one thing I really like that the show does is they allow for time to pass between when that guard situation happens and when Uncle Ben is actually killed. So Spider-Man for a little bit continues to get more famous and continues to just be successful and like mm-hmm. is allowed to ride that moment of looking out only for himself for a little bit. So when his uncle Ben being killed actually happens. It really truly is like uh, out of nowhere and a total shock and just like a thing he comes home to, which I think is always for me, at least the, the version of the story where he just comes home to that is always like the most heartbreaking one because he's on a high, he's coming home from making a a sick paycheck and, you know, adoring fans. And that's what he comes home to. I think this is one of those versions and, and it always hits me so hard. Yeah. One thing I was thinking when I was watching it the second time was that like, I was thinking like, 
it's a like Uncle Ben is mentioned at the top of his flashback very briefly, and then you don't see him for a, a long time, and he's not really mm-hmm. mentioned for a long. He gets like one. You can see him briefly when he was a teenager, but but between Peter getting his spider powers and Uncle Ben actually dying, a lot of stuff. There's a lot of time that passes and a lot of stuff that's happening, and so like obviously we are expecting the uncle Ben thing watching it right now in 2023, especially, but I think it's still, you still kind of get in this like false sense, false sense of like comfort, like sort of forgetting that uncle Ben's going to get shot because it takes so long for it to happen. And then when it does, it almost feels like it's a, it's like the timing of it almost feels random in a way that's like more of a gut gut punch, just like it is for Peter. Yeah. The, the sense of impending doom is coming from, us knowing what happens not the show right. laying it on thick you yeah, know what i yeah. mean you you probably you know something's going to happen cuz he says something's happened before mm-hmm. but i don't think they go out of their way to be like oh we're going to build you up and build you up you know right they don't show like uncle ben like you know playing with a gun or anything like that like <laughs> oh, it's God. just like it's <laughs> you know like it's it's yeah. it's just like it really does it's like if if you don't know the story which i did not it's it's yeah. sure. Like I did not know the story. Mm-hmm. Like I just, you know, I I I believe there is an origin. Yeah, there is an origin episode of the sixty in the sixty seven mm-hmm. show, but completely differently done than than this. And I at that time I hadn't seen that you know that episode. So to see it and like them be like, oh okay, you know, I I was vaguely aware of like Spider Man gets bit by the spider and that's how he gets his powers. But I didn't know the the whole important aspect of it being the why he decides to use the powers for good. Yeah. And he had to suffer this just monumental, unthinkable loss before he he discovered his heroism. Yeah. 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 It's really good. And I think also we're spending a lot of time on this one thing, but I think it's because it's just really it's there's so much to it, you know, Um, like one thing that stuck out to me, too, is that like because they can only imply uncle Ben's death. They don't do like these like flashbacks to uncle Ben getting shot or something like that. Right. Or uncle Ben falling on the ground or something like that. They don't even show a gun. They don't even show a gun. Gunshot, not literal gunshot, but they'll just like show a gun and then flash to like dead body. Right. They have none of that. But I think the result of that is that you are staying with Peter the entire time throughout his entire, like the entire emotional spectrum that he's going through, which is so much more effective, I think, than trying to force in like, isn't it shocking that Uncle Ben died or whatever? Like you are just seeing Peter go through these emotions. Like you see him like wrapping his arms around his head while he's like in denial when the police officer is telling him about it. And then you see him go on like full on anger mode, you know, and then they have that really fucking cool shot of him like crawling in the shadows and then only his eyes are lit up when his spider sense goes off. And like it's creepy and menacing because he is in such a dark place and it's all communicate. It's communicated so well. And I think it works better because you never cut away from Peter and or Spider-Man in those moments. Yeah, it's a really good point. Yeah. And I love angry Spider-Man in a dark abandoned warehouse, (laughs) like being a creep, like waiting for his moment to strike this guy. I love it every time, even in the worst versions of it. I love it. It's just, Mm -hmm. you don't get to see Spider-Man be like that. And I don't even want him to be like that most of the time. So like just getting the little taste of it, you know, I'm always, I'm always excited. Um, But this is of course where he finds out that it's the guy, you know, it's which, you know, we knew, I don't know if that was even much of a shocker or, or what, but uh, <laughs> shocker, for, uh-huh. for you at the time, 
Chris, but it's at this point the thing we can obviously expect. I, I yeah, I don't I don't remember uh I don't think it was a shock. I don't re- ever yeah. remember being, you know, I was I was I was a pretty advanced reader sure, <laughs> yeah. when I, I saw this and I <laughs> already understood how like story works. Right. But um like even at that like young age, I'm like, well, of course it's gonna be the dude he let get yeah. away. Otherwise, yeah, it's not the, the surprise. It's like the it's like yes. putting the last piece in, right? Yeah. That like makes it's it all make sense him for put Peter. The pieces together. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The the visual reveal of the burglar is good though because they it's another very anime thing because he's in the shadows and you see like the shadows part from his face as Spider-Man realizes it <laughs> in a way that like doesn't make sense physically and like what's happening, but in a very like anime anime way, like yeah. the shadows parting on his face, it looks so fucking cool. Yeah. This episode looks so cool it so is, often. Even among these like three Toei episodes, I think it is still the best looking one out of those three. Even. Yeah. You know, like all of them look good. This one yeah. looks the best still out of the three. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Hey, uh, what is the, cause I genuinely, I either I knew and I forgot, or I just don't know. Why is the reason Toei did these three and only did these three? I don't know. Okay. Cause they did do one episode in the first season. They did the wizards and demons episode. So like there was some weird, like, I don't know why. And, and the thing is like most of these were in-house at Marvel studios. So why they, you know, outsource that one episode in season one. And then this entire season, I mean, yeah, this entire season and why the season was only three episodes at all. I don't really, I don't understand. And I have not been able to find a good explanation for why that all happened. I feel like we're just on the edge of it making sense, but I can't quite figure the fact that it is only three episodes. The fact that they had one before that could be like, is that a test run? Is this like a project they were working on while the other season was being developed? Like something about it makes sense. I just don't know exactly how. Yeah. I, I have a vague feeling that this is somehow connected to the deal that gave us the Frankenstein movie and the infamous Dracula movie, they did like the weird adaptation of both Frankenstein and Tomb of Dracula around the same time. The Marvel takes mm. on those characters that mm. the, there's infamously the Dracula one where Dracula can't find any blood. So he goes into a diner, and eats a cheeseburger. Um, <laughs> oh, and it's, it's like I've shown them both on Sci-Fi Explosion and they're both really, really well done, but they're very much based on the Marvel monsters of of the 70s and they were done basically the same time so i wonder i will definitely probably the next time i come back on the show i will have an answer for this because i'm (laughs) going to research this because that's what i do um but i i I bet that had something to do with it because i know toby did those because the animation is so light years beyond anything else that was on saturday morning tv at this time and like just as a kid, I just remember clocking it and be like, "This looks really good. Why does this look better than anything I've seen before animated?" Yeah, you know, yeah. because you have to remember what a cesspool. Like, look at like anything filmation was doing at the time, and then <laughs> this. Like, or look Hannah at an Barbera. episode of like the yeah. Brady cartoon that filmation did, and then watch this episode. Yeah, um, and you're yeah. gonna be like, "Holy shit! How's this even the same art form?" Oh, trust. Yeah. I have seen enough Hanna-Barbera cartoons in my youth. Yes. Yeah, we all have. What bad <laughs> animation can look like. It's bad yeah. American animation can look like. Sure. Yeah, I think that that, that is an interesting one. I, I think, yeah, probably the place to research would be Toei, the history of Toei itself, because I think it also, like, it's it's only a few years after this that then Toei does Transformers, and I feel like they hadn't done, an, they hadn't done 
an American production before this point, I think. I could be wrong about that, but I think that pretty much everything that we would had seen from Toei before this would have just been imported anime. Then they work on this in America, like a co a joint production with America, and that sort of establishes like, oh, you can outsource your American cartoons to Toei if you want hmm. to, which then gets us stuff like Transformers a few years later. Um yeah. maybe. Uh, hmm. so this could have been maybe and the reason this was three episodes is that it is a bit of a test run and it's like probably I mean I wouldn't be surprised if the budget of these three episodes was equivalent to the budget of the entire first season potentially sure. <laughs> wise, you know so that could also be part of it too and if you think wonder, about it, it one of them is the Spider-Man origin and the other is like the origin of their original character so it true, makes perfect yeah. sense they would want to dump some budget into it sure and in, in in my like demand in mind too, this somehow this somehow connects to the Toei Japanese uh, live action Spider Man too. Like that. <laughs> sure, like it, it's going to somehow connect. It yeah. can't be a coincidence that it's like the same studio that produced both of those. Right, things. I think that yeah. make, and and it wasn't that. It was only a couple of years before this, so like the relationship was already established. I mean, if 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 you have Stanley who liked that show already in talks with people that worked at Toei, I could sort of seeing it be like, Hey, why don't you do some animation on the Spider-Man show that we're working on right now, man? Like, come on over, like do yeah, us a favor. Yeah. Like the connection was already there. So it does make sense. Yeah. It's still, I still would be, I would love to know the explicit story, but I feel like these pieces make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I guarantee someone who's listening to this right now knows. Yeah. And it's like, oh my gosh, you so. guys. Yeah. You guys are idiots. Here's how it is. You know? Here's like a very well, easily easily researchable <laughs> yeah. website that has yeah. it all yeah. on it that you all just never looked at, apparently. Yeah. At me at Sci-Fi Explosion and tell me because I am I would very much like to know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, in the episode, this is where we get to cut back to the present because now he's told the whole origin story to his friends. Um, this is where he drops the with great power comes great responsibility. This is how he learned that. Uh, he put those pieces together, and that's sort of his motivation for uh, going from using it for himself to using it for other people. But then he also says, you know, if I went through all that and I just ended up making the exact same mistake, maybe I haven't really learned anything at all, and maybe it's time to give up that power if I can't handle the responsibility. And I actually love Bobby and Angelica's reactions, not because they're unexpected, Mm -hmm. but because they're performed very well. The two actors make sure that you feel Bobby and Angelica being like, no, you can't give up. What are you talking about? Like you are not thinking straight here, Spider-Man. Like that's not the way to go. And they convince him unsurprisingly to not give up, but he's still kind of reluctant and they give kind of like the most calm, determined, kind of solemn go for it that I think we're ever going to hear on the show. I kind of teared up when they said go for it. It's emotional. It's really good. (laughs) I never thought I would have like gotten like teary-eyed in an episode of Spider-Man and his amazing friends of all the Spider-Man shows that we'd ever watch. (laughs) But it got me. It got me a lot because it really is just like, because I I love these these three. Like, they're weirdos sometimes. But like, especially in these three episodes in the season, like, they've really gone hard on how much they are there for each other and that they are really good friends and complement each other. And then this feels like the culmination of the stories they've been telling over the past couple of episodes where it is just sort of like, like Spider-Man came close to having one of his billion Spider-Man no more moments. One of the million times he quits Spider-Man, he almost does it again, but he doesn't do it because he has friends this time. Because he has friends this time. Exactly. And last week we asked the question, 
if in Iceman's origin story, Spider-Man and Firestar save the day, and if in Firestar's origin story, Iceman and Spider-Man save the day, will Iceman and Firestar get to save the day in Spider-Man's? And we were like, surely not. And not in the same way. But I would argue the answer is yes. The answer is yes in the only way they could make this make sense, where Spider-Man still gets to be the action hero at the end. But yes, his friends do absolutely save the day by by preventing his Spider-Man no more moment and and motivating him and encouraging him. Um, And boy, oh boy, was I wrong, because I was so confident there was no way the show would would come close to doing that and they did it uh they did it and they did it in a very clever cool emotional way yeah so moments later um they find that shocker has essentially taken the whole city hostage demanding that they bring him spider-man or else he will destroy everything and we see that pretty immediately because this is very formidable um this season of the show loves to draw new york as a crumbling wasteland anyway so (laughs) they just ratchet that up to the next level a little bit (laughs) Uh, it's clear that his plan is to just have nothing left standing. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I'm, I'm pretty pretty convinced that like in, in my head canon is this show takes place in 1977 New York because of how oh, like yeah. fucked everything is. It oh is, yeah. yeah, yeah. It is very much like yeah. I'm surprised they don't have like the the uh, son of Sam running around. You know, and, <laughs> it's. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's it's very clearly like that worst like dilapidated reputation version of New York City. Like pre-cats reviving New York's economy version of yes. New York. You know what I mean? <laughs> that is the greatest and queerest way you could have worded that. And if I had a hat right now, it would be off to you, sir. Because that is uh that is incredible. And yes, but yeah, Look. because like between Cats and the Chorus Line, like they got people starting to go back to Broadway, yeah. and because of that, that those are the two things that started, you know, like started the revitalization of New York City. People forget that. Yeah. Look, Here's we're just talking about done. history here. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. But apparently the show hadn't quite caught up yet because it looks Not like yet. shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it looks great, but like the city looks yes. like shit. Yes. Yeah. New York City is yeah. New York City is a mess. It is not a place oh, yeah. you would want to live. Oh yeah. <laughs> Um, Iceman and Firestar immediately confront Shocker. I love this. It's not even just that Shocker is there, but it's the fact that Shocker and this whole experience has clearly rattled Spider-Man in a way that they're like, we are going to take this guy down. You are in a vulnerable space and we are going whole hog at this dude. It doesn't work. They're both defeated. Um, but in the process of Spider-Man taking his turn, he notices that Shocker is using some sort of device on his belt in conjunction with his gauntlets. He communicates this back to his teammates, and the three of them realize as long as they can take out his equipment, they can take out Shocker, mm. and they do exactly that. They say equipment. I mean, you say equipment. They say clothes over and over again. They say they need to take off Shocker's clothes. That's true. They rip off his belt with the intent to strip him and steal his clothes. Yes, they got to take all that gear off to get down to you know, the business. I'm so here for it. Uh, the, his little Shocker <laughs> suspenders, mm-hmm. that's a hot look. That's, yeah. that's, we're going to pretend for a minute that I go to Bear Nights. I don't, but if I did, I would wear those those little shocker suspenders and yeah. his little his little yeah. draws he's got yeah. on. We've yeah. seen this guy. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
this is why I'm saying there is an alternate reality where they leaned into this without oh, realizing yeah. it, and he becomes this sort of like yeah. weird Saint Sebastian, like accidental queer icon. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would love to see Russell T Davies, uh, Spider Man, his amazing friends. Oh my! I would, I would my love to see that. That God. would be. <laughs> that is the best thing I've ever heard in my life. Now I need it. <laughs> I think we've just found your audio clip for for the uh, Instagram <laughs> right there. It'd be so good. Yeah. Everything about it would be so good. Yeah, I would. I would love to see that. Yeah, he would. He would do. Su- he would. He would do such a killer fire star. Like mm-hmm. I could totally see. Oh yeah. Like yeah. Getting that just kick. they would all be just. Everyone, everyone at the very least would be would be by at the very least. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It, it would just be just amazing. It would be truly amazing, friends. Yeah, he would absolutely go hard on the triad aspect of it, one hundred percent for sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know who wouldn't is Shocker, who tells Firestar to go home to your knitting, misogynist piece of shit. Boo. Yeah, yeah, man. My interest in him just plummeted with that. <laughs> He's like, no that kind of gay. <laughs> yeah, like he's patriarchal gay. No, self-loathing. No. no. Nope. Misogyny's not cute because you're gay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. The one thing, unfortunately, that gets like glossed over in, in just sort of like telling the events of the episode, I've mentioned it because I, I mentioned it when we were talking about like the wrestling sequences and stuff, but the action really rules. And it, it shows yes. in this like yes. final fight too. Like it's not even just how their powers look or how their bodies move. But again, the camera angles and how they decide to like direct shots. I was going to put my quotes up, but that's literally what they're doing is they're directing these shots. Um, And you know, one that I'm thinking specifically is like when, when Iceman is, you know, doing his, the way that he flies essentially, right? Like he's sliding on his ice and then shocker hits it with vibrations. His, his path like shatters and, and Iceman like falls toward the camera surrounded by shards of his own path. And it's just so cool. And it's the kind of thing we never would have seen anything even close to this in the first season. Um, and it's like littered throughout this episode. Yeah. yeah the really animation is. is so vibrant and dynamic. And yeah like it, it, it you know in episodes like these three episodes really need that more than the rest of the season because the stories are just more important because we're getting at what makes our heroes our heroes mm-hmm. so to have these these episodes that were clearly like all three this season were clearly like storyboarded within an inch of their life because oh, this, yeah this kind of these sequences are like mini mini masterpieces and you know it's almost like you come down from watching all three of these because then you're back to like basics with spider-man and i look i love this show i i I do i love even the worst episode of this show right but to go from like no pun intended like the heights yeah of Uh this sequence and that that fight sequence to like back to like you know the rote animation of every, you know, the, the other episodes, it's mm-hmm. a real like bring down, you know, and it makes you, <laughs> it makes you really, you know, thirsty for more of this kind of animation. Yeah. And so I think this was kind of like a teaser for, you know, definitely I, I'm a bit older than you two, but definitely like people of my generation to, to created that, like, well, what is, what is this anime thing? And then when we would see things like star blazers or, you know, battle for, of the planets, things that look so different. You know, it, it really 
kind of blew open your mind to the fact that oh there are different animation styles huh mm -hmm. because yeah you know me being me being like six at the time of seeing this like i knew disney Hanna barbera and then like the saturday morning stuff sure. but you see something like this that looks so different and if it's a character that you love like i love spider-man you know it's gonna yeah. blow your mind open and they're, they're really just it's another example of how much care was kind of put into the creation of these three episodes specifically of this series. Yeah. yeah I fully, very, very well said. I fully agree. Um, and, and talking about it, one other thing that I, I think stands out in these three episodes because of Toei two is like the underlighting effects that they have, mm -hmm. like the specific type of like uh, analog glowing that you would only see in cartoons from like the late seventies and eighties in only in the higher budget ones because it's a really hard effect to do because they literally have to like cut holes in the cells and physically <laughs> shine lights under them and stuff. But like these three episodes do that so much. So like, yes. even like I think when Spider-Man's eyes are glowing in that scene, we mentioned with the spider sense, that's an underlighting, but like, I really loved the, um, with the actual spider becoming radioactive, like those two big balls that glow red, mm -hmm. it looks so fucking cool. And it's like, it nothing's, yeah. nothing's yeah. happening. It's a spider just, just there in the middle of two glowing balls. But that particular glowing effect looks so cool. And there's like nothing else like it, you know, like I know that they don't do it because it's hard to do and you can just do that stuff digitally, but like digital glowing does not look the same as like <laughs> this, like actual physical underlighting they do. It's so sure. fucking cool. There, I, I don't mean this to sound like perverted, but they like the impending doom of those glowing balls are just like <laughs> it's really it's just yeah. like a real effect. And, and like y'all know what's gonna happen to that spider, but like I like yeah, the extra mile. They 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 go to do that. Like I'm I was such a sucker for that in like I, I know the uh, the original G.I. Joe miniseries mass device does that a lot with like the glowing uh the glowing effects and everything. And it's Ooh. it's a real it's a real fun thing because again, it's it's not what we as kids were trained to see in animation. So it blows open the doors of oh, all this shit is possible. Yeah. Well, I think like it sounds so it's not always treated this way, even in 2023, but I do think it sounds silly at this point to be like, no, you guys, animation's art. Like most people are like, yes, of course, obviously it is art. But I have to imagine that for a lot of people, uh, seeing anime or seeing this show animated by Toei was perhaps the first time a lot of people were like, holy shit, anime or animation can be like art. Like, like actual, like art art, not just solely a way to kind of like tell a story. Not that artistic animation didn't exist prior to that, right. but I wouldn't be surprised if this was that experience for a lot of people. Not, not to sound like Elrond at the beginning of Lord of the Rings, but I was there and I knew <laughs> that that is exactly how, how it was sure. because, you know, you, you still see that to this, to a much, much, much lesser degree these days, but with like comic books and animations, they were all just completely dismissed as like disposable kids yeah. nonsense to keep them entertained. And, and so when like little like cracks of true originality and artistry got through on like mainstream Saturday morning TV, especially that, right? Cause like obviously feature films existed. Yeah. Obviously even, Walt Disney was recognized, but even then this was like the, art. the dark period for Disney. Like it was before the Renaissance, it was like yeah. in between the Absolutely. major True. things and before the Renaissance period. So like if you so were growing up respect, here, ebbs and flows. Yeah. Like you yep. weren't getting the best of the best of Disney yeah. at the time. So yeah. Yeah. That's such a good point. Yeah. Cause like, it, 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 
this specific point, I, I think Disney's last notable like animated live it, it was animated in live action was Pete's Dragon. I love Pete's Dragon. Not a great film, the original. <laughs> um, but I, I love it. It's it's tied to nostalgia. But they were doing more, they they were in their experimental period, which gave us stuff like the Witch Mountain movies and Black Hole, and then eventually Tron. You know, but people forget that all of these pre- return to Oz, all of those projects were failures financially. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, people people kind of forget that now. But yeah. animation wise, people were really moving away from Disney because like that was considered passe and, mm-hmm. you know, no one knew what the next thing was going to be. So animation was in a was in a dark kind of yeah period like 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 you both said and yeah so it's just you know to to have something new and inventive come along like i i vividly remember like you know obviously didn't have the the vocabulary to articulate it but i remember thinking like there's something different about this that that's special you know and i i didn't know how to word it you know um but yeah, it, it was. It's it's looking back now. It's such an interesting time because we were like three years from Robotech becoming a series here. And, <laughs> you know, even even the jump in quality from like something like Star Blazers and the Yamato films that it was based on to Robotech was like, sure. Oh my god, this can be it. And around that same time, like in syndication, we also that's when you get your you know after the Reagan in probably the only decent thing he did when he. <laughs> you know, change the regulation <laughs> for Saturday morning uh, television when you can basically do these shows that are cartoons that blew open the door of possibility in terms of animation, because you had companies like Hasbro spending a shit ton of money on their cartoons to do, mm-hmm. you know, even like the opening sequence and some episodes of Muppet Babies utilized really good animation, you yeah. know, so we went from like crappy animation to really passable passable to great animation in the span of like three or four years in the early 80s yeah and you know after after you know and that's why companies like despite the fact that filmation had huge success with he-man and she-ra like their kind of animation of reusing backgrounds and that same thing that that hannah Barbera did it began it became kind of kind of frowned upon very very quickly mm-hmm. when you were looking overseas to see all the shit that mm-hmm. was being done in japan yeah. so yeah that Thank was a you, little Japan. rant, but I, yeah. <laughs> no, but I, yeah, I think that's but for really, real. <laughs> that's for real, and I think it is. It is cool that this that this show is part of that narrative. Like I, that is yeah. something really special, I think. And it is the one of those things where it's just sort of like if you're the kind of person that only you know really only cares about like the more you know serious narrative driven Spider Man shows, like basically everything post the '90s show or whatever, like. I think that this is something you still have to respect a lot about this show specifically and, and sort mm-hmm. of the strides that it helped to make even just by just within just the three episode season. Yeah. I think if somebody were to watch some of the show and be like, I don't know if it's my vibe. I normally I'd be like, great. Don't watch any more of it. But I think in this case, I'd be like, watch these three episodes at least like, it's just worth it. Like if you like yeah. Spider-Man stuff or superhero stuff, like these three episodes, I think you can respect if nothing else. Compare the animation on these three episodes to the MTV show. I mean, my God, like you know, <laughs> which was considered to be very cutting edge and yeah, and like oh, this is this is cool and stylish, and yeah. it hurts the head to look at that shit. Like you know, <laughs> just the, 
Like, there's a million <laughs> reasons why that show is a disaster. But, you know, like, aesthetically, it is tough to sit through. Whereas you watch something like this that is just so pleasing. And for me, it totally, like, it, it just the endorphins go off because it's so tied to nostalgia and yeah. just my introduction to loving these characters and in a way like spider-man was the first comic character even before like archie and stuff because i i love that so much but like for me it was like the first comic character i was aware of it was like <laughs> spider-man and then batman but like you know spider-man was the first character who i really like was like oh oh i actually understand this yeah mm-hmm. i understand what this character is going through you know and and to to have that like relatable uh you know kind of hero at a very very young age you know it's it's no wonder why spidey is endured across the decades and always will because it's just such a solid character so to have the origin told in such a straightforward yet stylish way is something that's really satisfying yeah fully agree it's also nice to feel nostalgic about something watch it and then have it validated where you're like it's yeah. not just nostalgia well, it was good. <laughs> it up. like i mean you it, it, you i can't say the same for so many cartoons of my youth oh. like uh-huh. super friends and you know other things that are just like bad and like i i put together a saturday morning cartoon show every week and like so much of that isn't a pleasure to rewatch. like it's kind of goofy and fun but like there's very few times where I, I show something on there that I consider like art <laughs> and yeah. something that has that has just held up over the decades. And th- this series is definitely one of it, particularly these three episodes from yeah. you know th- this era in the show. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is a little understated, but like the actual, actual last scene of this episode with like just everybody with Aunt May, I actually, I think it's a really subtly like really beautiful kind of capper to it because it's like after all of this the idea that like aunt may who has expressed many times in this show and in this very episode that like spider-man's a freak like she sees shocker blowing up buildings she's like we need to get away from that scary spider-man like even after all of this spider-man gets a little reward finally of her just being like spider-man actually seems like a pretty cool guy isn't isn't yeah. he? And like I, I mean it's like it's such a it's such a small detail but i think like it considering this whole episode is just about peter like way classically weighing the worth of should he be spider-man or not is this hurting more people than it's helping and then actually getting validation not just from his friends but from his aunt who is doesn't even know that he's spider-man like it feels like so powerful and it's such a smart thing to include when they could have easily just ended the episode with the spider friends beating shocker and just being like yay spider friends like Mm -hmm. having that little coda on it i think adds so much to that episode yeah agreed it's good stuff of course, it's kind of ruined because uh, you don't have Stanley's uh, narration where it's supposed to be. So instead, it's just this <laughs> yeah. ominous shot that slowly zooms in on Aunt May's face as like creepy music is playing, and that's how the episode ends. Well, because that, they're showing like her final seconds of life because the blanket was covering her, <laughs> and she's so delicate it just crushed her bones into dust, and she passed. <laughs> R.I.P. Aunt May. See the crossroads. Damn. <laughs> Do we see her in season three? Can't wait to find out. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Uh, well, I want to talk these faces of the episode. Both of them are a shocker. Uh, we've talked all about them. I really love. There's a bit where it just looks like Spider-Man just really 
wants to hug Shocker. And that's it. Aww. And what's really funny is that there is a screenshot that we took from like a spectacular Spider-Man episode also with Shocker. That's very similar where it looks like Spider-Man is hugging Shocker from behind. It's their thing. It's, it's their cute. Thing. <laughs> I like it. It's just I thing. ship it. Yeah. 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 Um, the other one, it's even better. We kind of referenced it a little bit. There are a few times where there are some coloring errors with Shocker. It actually it happens a number of times. I don't fault them for it because there's a lot of stuff happening and everything looks so good that like I will forgive a couple of times where they don't fill in some of Shocker's costume. Not a big deal. However, because they don't, basically they they forget to fill in some of his vest. So it really just looks like he has these like small string suspenders maybe like even like you can get vibes of like leather straps or like a banana hammock thing either way he definitely looks like he's gearing up for underwear night at the eagle uh oh it's a hot look yeah when those colors absolutely yeah standing in a mountain of boy butter (laughs) oh (laughs) (laughs) it just looks like goop (laughs) yep it's the right color and everything come I was gonna say that he's a he's clearly a trothy piss pig. Um, <laughs> Holy fucking hell, man! But all yes, of us had different nuts. fluids in mind, and I love that for yeah. us. Yeah, <laughs> we hear, this is Glitterjaw, the queer podcast network. So I am leaning into that, guys. Yeah. I am here. Is it lube? Is it piss? Is the it branding? <laughs> it's a mixture of it's a mixture of everything. It's a mixture of everything. Hey, that's how those crazy wild nights go. If he's already arrived, yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> if he's there. <laughs> oh my gosh. But yes, any any other stray thoughts, anything we didn't get to about this episode before we start wrapping it up? Not this episode. I just am excited to have seen all three of these now um, and seen them as a package and talked about them as a package because really it's not just three separate origin stories. Like it very clearly was built to be uh, this, this package of stories together that don't just tell us how each superhero became who they are, but also what their dynamic is. They don't explicitly tell us oh look at how how much they are friends but they do show us a lot right Mm -hmm. they show us their dynamic they show us them stepping in to save each other and support each other they show us what this found family of the amazing friends is i think in a really in in a way more effective way in just three episodes than we've seen in an an entire sort of conventional sized season of the show yeah fully agree i just want to say that i i i just I, I really, I mean, this is kind of the general purpose of the show in general, but I find it really interesting to hear the perspective of people who haven't seen, you know, these episodes before. Because to yeah. me, like, I've, I mean, I've lived with this episode since it was it was first on. So I, I really enjoyed hearing, you know, what you both, you know, thought of it. Yeah, I'd never seen these before. Yeah. I'd seen like stray episodes outside of this one but not these actual three episodes. I, I had seen these three episodes before, um, but it's, it had been a while. And I do think that talking about them for the podcast is still a different experience than just either having caught them on TV or watching them mm-hmm. like in a binge or whatever. Um, Cause I do think that you do get more appreciation when you are like intentively paying attention and looking for things. Um, and especially with these, it's like, I mean, we talked about all of it. It's just like, these are like undeniably good looking episodes mm-hmm. and, and especially this one, just all around good episode, like a great episode of the show. I would, I don't, I don't know that I would really, in terms of like obje- as, as objective as you can be quality, not necessarily favorite, but objective as you can be quality. I can't 
think of other episodes that would necessarily top this as the best episode of the show. Like, I feel like all of your best episodes, are, it's either going to be this or Firestar. Maybe mm-hmm. Iceman. I think that was the weakest of the three, but definitely this and Firestar's origin episode are like the two best episodes of the show, I think. And then as a package, I think even better. I mean, like mm-hmm. you have incredible standalone episodes here in the Firestar and Spider-Man one. And I think the Iceman one is still better than several other episodes of the show. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then together, like it, it's weird to say that the sum is is better than the parts here when the parts are so good, but it's true. Like they yeah. just complement each other so well. Some good thematic through lines for sure. Yeah, it's incredible. Well, this has been fantastic um it's been so fun going through this season chris thanks so much for joining us with this uh, thank you both for having me i, I really uh appreciate this and i'm sorry about my adhd riddled asides <laughs> <You're fine. laughs> no, we love what them is, they're welcome this is what, the right place what is podcasting <laughs> if not just tangent after tangent after tangent uh-huh. after tangent until an hour has passed that's what that's all it is yeah so- <laughs> what is iceman's briefs it's not love persevering um <laughs> I have no idea. (laughs) Well, Chris, if people want to find uh, more brilliant musings like that from you and uh, where can they find you on the internet and anything else you're working on? You can find me on whatever social media waste of time you love. Cause I'm on all of them. I'm not on blue sky. I'm not doing blue sky. Sorry, folks. Uh, (laughs) I'm not doing Mastodon. I'm at sci-fi explosion on every social media thing that they're the the big ones the big three i'm still on so you can just follow me there and that's where you can get like little plugs for my shows i do a weekly saturday morning cartoon show on twitch uh from usually like 10 a.m to noon eastern uh twitch.tv slash sci-fi explosion and just again sci-fi explosion everywhere i'm not very hard to find Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Uh, if you'd like to support us, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers. Easiest way to do it. we got plenty of bonus content going on there. And of course, check out our Discord. Link to that is in the show notes if you want to connect with other listeners of our show and us as well. But otherwise, if you'd like to find Doug and I individually, where's the best place to find you, Doug? You can find me all over the place, all the social media places that you know about and all the ones you've already forgotten about uh, at Icky Bully, I-C-K-Y-B-O-O-L-E-Y. You can also listen to me on a podcast called Victory Road. Uh, it's a Pokemon podcast and another one called Novel Gaming that I do with my friend Katie, where we catch up on all the books and video games we've been consuming lately. What about you, Derek? Sure. You can find me also on whatever social media stuff, but by different names, unfortunately, because I'm not good at social media. Um, some places you'll find me as Derek B. Gale, some places as Dare Bear, some places as Mr. Dare Bear, just look me up. You'll find me. It's not a big deal. Um, you can also find my other shows uh, like Gimmicks, which is a podcast that looks at the structure-breaking experimental gimmicky episodes of television with a different uh, show for every episode we do. I do that with my co-host, David, anywhere you get your podcasts. And you can also find my Twitch at uh, twitch.tv slash Mr. Dare Bear, where I stream uh, VHS recordings of old airings of TV with the original commercials some Sundays and Thursdays, just follow me places to find out when I'm doing that. If you would like to find other queer creators who talk about media, check out the Glitterjaw Queer Podcast Collective at glitterjaw.com. And of course, you can visit us on our website at wallopingwebsnappers.com or on our Walloping Web Snappers social medias at Walloping Web Pod or you can email us at wallopingwebsnapperspodcast at gmail.com if you have the full story about how Toei ended up animating these episodes and know stuff that we don't know, email us there and we would love to hear from you. 
Also, yes. please rate, review, and subscribe to us on, on all your podcast platforms, of course. And next week, we are going much farther in the future because we are returning to the 2017 series with yes! the second season premiere, How I Thwipped My Summer Vacation. <laughs> I'm excited! Me too. <laughs> See you then. See you then.